Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. In this episode, we go back to the season of 1932 of college football and the Colgate Red Raiders, undefeated, unscored upon, and not invited to the Rose Bowl. Sports time traveler Len Furman visits us to tell us all about this great Colgate team in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another day in time where we get to go and look in that portal. And we're going to have some help today as somebody's going to guide us in that portal back into some major time travel because we have the sports time traveler himself, Len Furman, is with us. Len, welcome to the Pigpen. Thanks, Darren. Uh, It's so great to uh, be here. It's an honor to be here on the Pigskin uh, Dispatcher. And uh, before we start, I want to take a quick moment and thank a few of my best friends from New Jersey, Bill, Glenn, Mark, Charlie, and the Giffer. Their encouragement was instrumental in this incredible journey I've had developing the Sports Time Traveler. Well, well, you got some great friends if they encourage you to do that because you're doing a great job. And we're going to see some of your work here as we, we talk here during the program. But before we do, now this is the first time you've been in the pig pen. So we want to make sure our listeners are accustomed to who you are and, you know, sort of your, your little bit of your background. So how did you become the sports time traveler? Well, it actually goes back to... Um to my love for baseball and the New York Mets. I do cover all sports, including a lot of football in the sports time traveler, but my, the impetus to getting this started was I felt like when I was growing up as a kid, I had missed out on the 1969 miracle Mets. I was too young to, to experience that. And so I wanted to go back and experience what I had missed from my favorite uh, baseball team. And I, and I, figured out the best way to try to experience it was to go back and read newspaper articles day by day uh, in 1969. And after I did that, I realized this is such a great experience. I'm going to keep going. So I I went on into 1970 and 71. I was always following exactly 50 years ago to the day, uh, the newspaper articles. And and I would, when I found something interesting, and I'd, I'd always find something really interesting, I'd share it with my friends, those friends that I just uh, thanked. And they they started saying to me, hey, Len, this is good stuff. You got to do something with this. And so that's when I started my Substack newsletter, The Sports Time Traveler. Yeah, but as long as we're mentioning that, why don't you go ahead and uh, give a link where people can find it? We'll also put it in the show notes, listeners. So if you're you're driving and you, you know we don't want you trying to write things down and memorize them, we'll put it in the show notes as well as on Pigskin Dispatch. But Len, go ahead and tell us how to get there. 
So the simplest way to find me now is I've started a website that is just very simply www.thesportstimetraveler.com. And from that site, you can link to my Substack where you can read my articles or my Spotify where you can listen to where I, I start. I've started putting up my articles on Spotify. I just read the articles. Uh, I also now have a Facebook page so you can follow what I'm up to and, and uh, you know, interesting things I'm going to be focusing on. So the best way to find me is to go to www.thesportstimetraveler.com. Okay, very cool. Make sure you check that out. We'll give those again, those numbers again at the end of the program. Now, Len, you came up with a very interesting subject in our, our earlier correspondence of a few weeks ago, setting this whole podcast episode up. And you told me about a 1932 team that was pretty remarkable. Uh, you said, and you, you linked me to your articles and I, I read them, you had a couple of them on them. And uh, I We'd just love to have you share some of that same experience uh, with the listeners here in the pig pen. Yeah, so um, so I was uh, traveling around virtually in 1972 in Los Angeles uh, back in December. So what I'll do is, I'll, I, again, I will go back. I go back 50 years ago exactly every day, and I'll scan newspaper archives and see what's going on. So so it was like the middle of December last year. So 50 years prior to December 2022 was December 1972. So I'm 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 kind of virtually traveling around Los Angeles. And the reason I'm in Los Angeles in 1972 is I love the um the sports columnist Jim Murray who wrote for the Los Angeles Times from around 1960 to the mid 1990s. He was an unbelievable sports columnist. So I liked reading his his column every day 50 years ago. And I'm I finished reading his column and I turned the page in the Los Angeles Times in December 14th, 1972. And there's this column called The Answer Man. And this sports writer, John Hall, he poses a uh, rhetorical question. He writes, USC was the only major unbeaten team in college football this season, this, scene, this season meaning 1972. Has a team ever gone unbeaten, untied, and unscored upon during an entire season? And then he writes, the answer is yes. And my eyes almost pop off the page. I'm thinking, yes, there was a team that went unbeaten, untied, and unscored upon. And then he goes on to say, in Col uh, Colgate in 1932, went unbeaten, untied, and unscored upon. And I'm thinking to myself, my gosh, that's unfathomable. And, and what I loved about it was, so it was 1972, uh, 1932, he said, and my now, I have these rules of sports time travel I've come up with, and it says I have to go back an exact uh, to the exact day and exact number of decades ago. So so some so usually I'm following stories from exactly 50 years ago, but I will also follow stories if they were exactly 60, 70, 80, 90 or 100 years ago. And so because this Colgate team was in 1932, it kind of fit. And I thought, OK, I'm going to jump into my sports time travel time machine. I'm going to go back and look at the newspaper archives from exactly 90 years ago today in 1932. And what I found was, was even more fascinating because I go back there and all of a sudden I'm seeing that the national champion of college football has just been crowned. <laughs> and they do it a little bit differently in 1932 that we just right. can't imagine today. They do it in the classroom. There is a professor uh, at the University of Illinois, Professor Dickinson, 
who from 19, and I researched this a little more, from 1925 to 1940, he picked the national champions based on a rating system he came up with. And this is how the official Newt Rockney Award was given for the, the best team in college football. And in his rankings, uh, number one was Michigan, uh, uh, another Big Ten team. I really wonder if his rankings were partial to <laughs> Big Ten teams. Number two was USC. Number three was Pitt. Number four, Purdue. And number five, Colgate, this team that wasn't even scored upon all year. They, they don't rank higher than fifth. So so I do a little more digging. I, I want to understand this this Colgate team. And it, it turns out they they beat teams by a total of 264 to nothing during the season. Just unbelievable. And, and going into their last game, they were playing Brown. Now, now we don't think much of Brown University football today. Uh, probably nor do we think that much of Colgate football today. I apologize to both <laughs> people from Colgate and Brown, but but uh in 1932, that game, Colgate and Brown, was being billed in the East as the Eastern Championship. In fact, the uh, Allison Danzig, writing in the New York Times, called it the Eastern Championship because Brown was also undefeated going into that final game of the season. It was being played in Providence. They had a, a packed stadium of 26,000 fans there. And at the end of the first half, Brown got to the one inch line one inch away from scoring Ugh. and and colgate held them off and got the ball on downs and then the half ended and they got out of a real pickle there in the second half colgate routed them the final score was 21 nothing they preserved their undefeated untied unscored upon season so really an unbelievable finish uh to their season and uh, one of the interesting things was when I when I read further was that Colgate had this coach who was absolutely brilliant. He was a disciple of Pop Warner. In 1932, he was in his fourth season coaching Colgate. His first three seasons, he had gone 25 and three, and now he finally had an undefeated season. And in addition to obviously having an unbelievable defense, he had the most imaginative complex offense and uh if you've heard of grant land rice he's another great sports columnist from mm -hmm. early in the 20th century he was at that game of colgate versus brown and 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 he was most impressed with the offense of colgate and uh, i found a newspaper article that had been written about that game uh, a few weeks earlier in 1932 the game took place the end of november and here's how Grantland Rice des described Colgate's offense. Single and double reverses, spinners, forwards and laterals, fake reverses and double passes, which finally had the scrappy Brown defense careening like a merry-go-round in vain attempts to locate the hidden ball carrier and haul him to earth. I mean, this, this just sounds, you know, unbelievable and, and really entertaining. And then... I, I searched on YouTube and found there's actually, this is just astonishing, there's actually a three-minute highlight video of that Brown-Colgate game from 1932, and it is so entertaining to watch because they were, they were just, they were the most drilled uh, offense you have ever seen. Everything happens so quick. 
and and in such synchronicity it's just it's it's nothing like you've ever seen i encourage everybody to go to youtube or actually if you just go to my article on this game if you look me up on substack or you know go to my website look me up on substack and search on colgate you'll find the article and in the article i put the uh, the youtube video it is so, youtube video it is so entertaining to watch and it really makes me wonder why why football coaches don't try to deploy this type of offense now uh so so that aside so so now colgate season is over they've now been uh, not selected as the national champion uh but there's still one more game to be played so even though the national championship has already been decided. Uh, there's actually one more game to be played, the Rose Bowl. So, so they picked the national champion before the Rose Bowl. By the way, the Rose Bowl in 1932 is the only bowl game played. The Orange Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, none of, none of the other bowls came into existence until at least yeah. 1935. So there's only that one game, the Rose Bowl. And, uh, and, and so now it's time to make the selections uh, for the Rose Bowl, and and let me let me just pause for a minute, and uh, since I'm kind of in the middle of this story, and see if you have any any questions or comments. No, I mean I'm just going to say you you have you have to really think about that. You know, Andy Kerr being a disciple of Pop Warner, and uh, you know taking I think he didn't he take over the Stanford program from Warner when Warner exactly left yes. So, you know, there you got the the inventor or the at least the main innovator of the single wing and double wing offenses who did quite a bit of that back at Carlisle with Jim Thorpe. He did it at Pitt, did it at Stanford. And you know now he's you know got this disciple that's sort of learned the trade and uh really propelled it even further so that's, that's fascinating and yeah and we did, we did a series on every rose bowl last year because it was the 100th anniversary of the 100th the 100th rose bowl played so we did a tried to cover every single rose bowl last december and had a bunch of guests on and talked about that so we had like 50 days of rose bowl history and uh you know so andy kerr's name definitely came up for this game and uh, you know what a what a great coach he was so yeah so please continue so, so now it's time to select the teams for the Rose Bowl. And it's very odd how Rose Bowl teams got selected in 1932. It, it was uh, the Rose Bowl committee envisioned the game as between the East and the West. Now, it wasn't, you know, nowadays um, uh, you, you have you know, the top team from the Big Ten usually plays the top team from the, I don't, I don't know if they, what they, if they still call it the Pac-10, but uh, or at least that's the way it was for many decades. But back in 1932, it's very different. the The Rose Bowl committee selects selects a team from the West, and then the team from the West they get to decide who they're going to play and extend <laughs> the invitation. So the obvious team from the West was USC in the Dickinson system. They were ranked second. They were the only team from the West in that top five. Uh, USC themselves had gone undefeated. In fact, USC, I think they had only let up 13 points themselves all season. Yes, they had outscored their opponents 153 to 13 during the season. So they were formidable. No doubt that USC was deserving to be the Western team. But now USC has to decide who they're going to select. And it was it was generally assumed by a lot of people that it was going to be Colgate. In fact, when they beat Brown, uh, there was an article in the uh, the Rochester Democrat Car Chronicle that's that reported that Rose Bowl authorities had contacted Colgate and told them they were the favorite to get the honor. Uh, a UPI article 
also ran across newspapers in late November saying that Colgate expects a bid uh, to the Rose Bowl. So it was generally thought uh, before that Dickinson rating came out, it was generally thought that Colgate is going to get the bid. But then USC goes ahead and selects Michigan. And, and they actually select Michigan before uh, before that Dickinson rating had come out also. So that didn't influence them. So they, they select Michigan. There's no rhyme or reason why they select Michigan. And if you look at if you look at the common opponents between uh, Michigan and Colgate, now they didn't actually, neither of them played a team that the other played. So you don't have that exact common opponent comparison, but they each played teams that their opponents, their opponents played teams that they uh, that they ultimately played. So, and when you look at that transitivity wheel, mm-hmm. you can you can clearly make a case for Colgate over Michigan. Now, so Michigan gets the invite, but they can't go because <laughs> the Big Ten actually has had at that time a restriction against any of their schools playing in a postseason game, and they they asked for a waiver, but the Big Ten. Uh, couldn't meet in time. And so USC has to retract the invitation to Michigan. So now they've got to select again. Now, the only other obvious choices besides Colgate would be Pitt or maybe Purdue. Now, if you look at the transitivity uh, win wheel, there is a clear case for Colgate over Pittsburgh and Colgate over Purdue without going into all the details. And not only that, but when you look at Pitt and Purdue, um, both of them, uh, while they didn't lose a game, both of them had ties. So Purdue had one tie, Pitt had two ties, whereas Colgate was undefeated, untied, and unscored upon. So it's so the case could, you know, it was clearly there for Colgate. And yet USC selects Pitt. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, it, it's it's just seems to be a travesty. And Andy Kerr makes this this great quote that was in newspaper headlines uh, across the country on December 3rd, where he said, we were unbeaten, untied, unscored upon, and uninvited. (laughs) A a great quote. So now, so so I ended that article in mid-December last year saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to be monitoring this story and I'm planning to travel virtually back in time to Pasadena to see the Rose Bowl game to see what happens between Pitt and USC. So a few weeks later, I do this. I go back and I, I look at the uh, what happened in the Rose Bowl, and it turns out that Pitt gets crushed. USC beats Pitt 35 to nothing. And then I go back and look at some of the stories leading up to the game uh, in the week or two prior to the game, and I find some really interesting stuff. There was a publication in Pasadena, California, where the Rose Bowls played, called California Light. And prior to the game, they wrote, they, they, they really took issue with this selection of Pitt. They said, we wonder with everyone else why Pitt was given the nod over Colgate. We gather that Colgate would give USC too close a shave, and they wanted to be sure they could invite somebody they could beat. Hmm. And then the article goes on to say that they got information that a scout informed USC, and here's the quote, the way the boys from Colgate clicked against Brown 
no chances should be taken with a team that was hitting with the Pop Warner trick system the way Colgate was. And uh, so that's what the scout, you know, supposedly said to USC. And then they, and then this Pasadena publication, they conclude their article saying, we cannot point with any pride the manner of USC refusing to invite Colgate, which is the East's greatest team, having established a record that has not been equaled in 20 years of college football. <laughs> and e even Pop Warner came out in support of Colgate uh, right after the Rose Bowl game. Pop Warner said the results of this Rose Bowl game makes us wonder if Andy Kerr's Colgate team would not have given the Trojans a closer battle. And uh, and up near you uh, in the Buffalo News, sports editor Bob Stedler wrote, uh, the only regret most devotees of the college gridiron game have is that no opportunity was provided to match the deceptive system of Andy Kerr with his Colgate team against the powerful Southern California team. So it, it was a real tragedy that uh, Colgate was not selected to play in the Rose Bowl game in January 1933, but but they got a little bit of a reprieve. Um, the next year, uh, and, and this is something I, I only will do sometimes in a postscript to my article where I, I look ahead. So typically my my rules of sports time travel is you go back that, that exact number of years and maybe you can look back a little further to get some context, but you don't look ahead because looking ahead kind of kind of ruins the feeling of being back in time. But but when I conclude an article, sometimes I will I'll look ahead distantly ahead to see the app, you know, the kind of the aftermath, not not the next day or, you know, 10 days later. But here's I found something uh, from the next year in 1934. Spalding's official football guide included a section that listed the national champion college football teams from 1869 to 1933. And in Spalding's guide for the football season of 1932, they listed three teams as tied for the national championship, Michigan, USC, and Colgate. So Colgate mm -hmm. really in the end, they, they, they got their due. Yeah. That, that's what I was going to ask you because I, we know, you know, the great historian Park H. Davis, I think he died right around 33 or something. So I think he was still doing some of his retroactive uh, national champions. And generally, you know, like you said, uh, you know, there's some bias to uh, Michigan or the West, but Park, Park H. Davis, you'd have like an obvious choice in some years and he would pick one of what we would call the Ivy Leagues today. So I was wondering if maybe a Park H. Davis would pick a Colgate and this time legitimately, and he he picked one for like 1935. There were some couple undefeated teams, and he decided to choose like Princeton, who had a loss and didn't play anybody that year in, in the 30s. You know, Princeton wasn't powerhouse, so he had some some questionable picks there. But I was wondering, and I bet you he's probably the one that uh, had it in there because I don't know if Holgate and uh, some of the others were doing retroactives at that point, 1933 for that mm -hmm. Spalding's guide, but yeah, very interesting. Gr great job on that. Then the research, I love the way you do it with going through the newspapers.com and I assume newspapers.com going through all the articles and everything. So yeah, tremendous, tremendous job. Well, so, thanks. Yeah. I, I probably had more fun writing that article than any of the other 160 articles I've written because it was something I didn't know about my friends didn't know about and it was just unbelievable and uh and it was such a great story you know one of the things one of one of my uh one of my basic tenets is I don't I don't just write something to tell you the here's the results of a game 
I, I look for storylines. I, I like I, I'm looking, I'm scanning the newspaper archives every day, but I only write a story when I find a good storyline there. There's there's got to be something that really grabs me. So it's not just, you know, you know, Reggie Jackson hit two home runs or, you know, uh, you know, it, it's got to be it's got to be there's a, a real good story there. And, and this one had all the elements of a great story with, you know, with that last game coming down to the one inch line against Brown and then and then finding out about this this unbelievable complex offensive system and being able to find that YouTube video uh, and then the whole story about the invitation and the rescinding you know possibly a rescinding of an invitation uh to uh, the Rose Bowl it just uh, and then and then in the end finally being named a national champion in that Spalding guide it had all the elements of a great story and and another thing about my stories when you read them is Unlike uh, a typical uh, sports story that you might read today that leads off, you know, here's the final score of the game and here's what happened. I, I do the reverse. I, I, don't, I don't tell you the final score in the beginning. I, I give you a teaser about what the story is going to be about. And then, and then I kind of develop the story and the, the result of the game is going to be near the, is going to be the climax uh, near the end. So I, I take, I, I kind of flip around sports reporting completely because I'm thinking in terms of being a storyteller, not a sports reporter. Be beginning, middle and end. You did it well. Yeah, that's for sure. Great job. Now that's, it's really interesting that you go back and you look at some of these teams and, you know, we get to pay tribute to the play a little homage to them, you know, some 90 some years ago, you know, probably forgotten by 99.9% .9 of the population. And, you know, it's we really appreciate when, when folks like yourself go back and do the work and probably did more work than some of the researchers at the time did the journalists that wrote the original articles and, uh, you know, gathering all those different thoughts from, you know, from Buffalo and you know, LA and all around the country uh, about the story. And it really gives a great perspective and shows all sides of the story as well. So we really appreciate uh, when, when you do that. So great, great. Oh, work. Thanks. Yeah. One of, one of the things I've, I've noticed is because, because, with our technology today, I've got access to all these different newspaper articles. I actually have more information than than the sports reporters at the time. And sometimes it's it's finding what somebody said here and somebody else said there and being able to put it together that nobody was able to do at that time. Yet it's all contemporary accounts. Uh, it's what that's one of the things I really find fascinating. And, and something else I just want to uh, uh, pick up on that you mentioned. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I love is the fact that I can honor these athletes from long ago you know if you think about it today the players are making so much money and uh but but back then they you know and and here we're talking about college players but you know professionals back then were making almost nothing they played because they loved the game in the off season they all had to have jobs because because the amount they even into the 1970s players routinely had jobs in the off season because their their salaries did not uh, in any sport, their salaries did not cover, you know, their living expenses. And, uh, and, and so they played for the love of the game. And so it's, it's a shame to not, you know, know about them. And uh, when, when they, you know, when they were given their heart, given everything to put into a game and, uh, and, and did some great things, you know, people should know about these stories. And that, that's one of the things I, uh, I, I'm really is one of my goals with the sports time travelers to bring to light these stories that people 
don't know about. Well, we, we sure appreciate you do. So Len, why don't we take this time again? Let's remind the listeners where, what your website is and where they can find it, find your podcast, find your Substack uh, newsletter. Yeah. So again, the best way to find me real simply is to go to my website, www.thesportstimetraveler.com. And that's really just like a, there's like a splash page there. It's a pointer. It has links to my Substack where you can read my articles to Spotify, where you can listen to my stories, Facebook, where I, I tell you what's coming up and, uh, and just share some thoughts. And, and one thing I, I want to just mention that, that I uh, have coming up that I'm really excited about uh, this fall uh, is uh, I'm going to be following the season of Jim Brown uh, playing for the Cleveland Browns in 1963. So exactly 60 years ago. And, and as you know, uh, and as probably most of your listeners know, Jim Brown just passed away recently. And when he passed away, I was thinking about how can I honor this man who, you know, we talk about, everybody talks about Tom Brady being the goat. But I think if you get to know more about Jim Brown, I think a lot of people would, would say Jim Brown's really the goat. Uh, not And no offense to anybody in New England, but um, if you learn about Jim Brown, I, I think you might find that it's hard to not make the case that he's the greatest uh, football player of all time, uh, certainly the greatest running back of all time. And uh, But I only know just a little bit about Jim Brown, and I, I've seen people talk about him in that manner. And I want to personally get to experience it. Jim Brown obviously uh, played before my time. So I'm real excited about this project where I'm going to go uh, back in time each week in the 1963 season this fall, exactly 60 years ago each week, and read about every game Jim Brown played. And I'm going to write articles about it when there's something I like to say so compelling, so exciting that I just have to share it. So I might not write a story about every game, but every time I find something that is really exciting, I'm going to share it. And I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be lots of really exciting moments because uh, I don't want to give anything away. But the little bit I know is that 1963 just happened to be Jim Brown's biggest season that he that he had in his nine year NFL career. So I, and that's another reason why I'm just so excited about following Jim Brown exactly 60 years ago uh, in, in the fall. And I just don't think there's any better way to honor uh, this man than to recall for people for this generation now that did not see him play uh, to to recall what what are these great things he did. So I'm, I'm so much looking forward to uh, to following Jim Brown this fall. Well, it sounds like a definitely a, a, an exciting journey. We've had some things on Jim Brown, too, and it's, you know, some great things. So please uh, feel free to, to touch base with us and let us, you know, if you can let us peer into to what you you got going or we'll have you on again and talk maybe mid-season, maybe at the end of the season when you go through Jim Brown's career and point out some things to bring people back to your articles and take a look at the, some of the stuff you discovered. So definitely the invites there for you. So uh, Len, we thank you so much for taking the time today uh, to first of all, talk about the, the football history that you've preserved and doing a great job of it. And, uh, revealing this 1932 amazing Colgate team to us and you know Co coach Andy Kerr and everybody else involved in that and uh we thank you personally for spending the time today to talk with us so thanks then well thank you so much peeking up at the clock the time's running down we're going to go into victory formation take a knee and let this baby run out thanks for joining us we'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast
we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.